What has um, holes and flies when you hit it with something? <laughs> what has what has holes <laughs> and flies when you hit it with something? Yes. Um. <laughs> sourdough bread. <laughs> uh no, it's a golf ball. A golf ball has holes. <laughs> yeah, don't you see those lumps that go inward, not outward? <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Braindrop Podcast, a show all about puzzles, riddles, mysteries, and games. I'm your host, Brian Hobbs. This week, I use the word thermoanalysis. If you're a professional thermoanalyst, or just do thermoanalytics as a morning hobby while you eat Cheerios, well, you might be disappointed. No one actually thermoanalyzes anything on this podcast, nor do we even really know what that means. First, I'll give solutions to the puzzles from last episode. We'll listen to the lateral thinking puzzle being solved. Then I'll share three new puzzles for you. Here's last week's answers. Solution one. (laughs) This goes on for ages. This was a tricky one, kind of involved a number of realizations and a fair bit of analysis. Some good tries at it. A few people got stuck at various places, but we did eventually get a solve. So in this puzzle, Sherlock Holmes' cousin has three kids, Annie, Benny, and Charlie. The product of their ages can be expressed using only the three digits of Sherlock's address with no additional digits or symbols. And the sum of their ages can also be expressed using only the three digits of his address. We also know that if Holmes told us either Annie's age or Benny's age, we still wouldn't be able to determine who was which age. So the first major key to this puzzle is knowing what Sherlock Holmes's address is. No guessing is needed. It's fairly common knowledge, if you're familiar at all with Sherlock Holmes. The address is 221B Baker Street. So the product of the ages can be expressed with a 2, another 2, and a 1, and same thing with the sum. So we have the numbers 221, 212, and 122. If you play with those numbers a bit, there are some promising-looking options, like 221, which has factors of 17 and 13, so the ages could be 17, 13, and 1, but that leaves you with a sum of 31, and you discover pretty quickly that no factors of any of these three numbers will add up to any of the other of the three numbers, so what do you do? Now it's time to make the leap that there are other numbers that can be expressed with a 2, a 2, and a 1, when you use exponents, since they do not use any additional digits or symbols. So that adds 2 to the 21st power, 22 to the 1st power, 2 to the 12th power, 21 squared, 1 to the 22nd power, and 12 squared. I won't go through all the possible options for factors, but working through each one leaves a few options. There's a little bit of a different story with sums, though. Most of the sums would be too large. 2 to the 21 would make each of their kids around a million years old, which would certainly make for an interesting case. But uh, anyway, then there's a number of three-digit options which would put the kids all in their 40s or their 70s, which I guess is theoretically possible, but uh, doesn't work as a product anyway. 
And then there's 1 to the 22nd power, which is just 1, which is clearly too small to be a sum. So that leaves one reasonable option, 22 to the first power, which is just 22. I'll leave the rest of the analysis to you since it's just about looking at various cases and eliminating options. But at the end of all that, you'll find that the ages are 16, 3, and 3, which add up to 22 and multiply to 12 squared. So the very last part of it is just figure out who is what age. If you knew which one was 16, then you would automatically know which were the other two. And uh, in the story, we learned that if we knew Annie's age, that wouldn't help us. So she isn't 16. Same with Benny. So he isn't 16, which leaves Charlie as the 16-year-old, and thus Annie and Benny as the three-year-olds. Whew, we made it. Solution 2. Ridiculous. Another fairly long and involved one. Gave you some tricky ones last week. Uh, in this one, I gave you three riddles. The solutions to the riddles were clues that you needed to combine to point you to a famous American author. So let's look at each riddle one at a time here. Riddle one. This one was written by Stephen Sneed. Take me, I'm nothing. Move me, I'm something. Push me to the brink, and I'll be anything. What am I? The answer is a pawn in chess. If you take the pawn, the pawn is out of the game and thus nothing. If you move it, it's in the game and is something. If you push it to the brink, which is the edge of the board, it can be turned into anything you want, a queen, a knight, or whatever. So the answer is pawn. Riddle two. I am of robbers. I am of bears. I contain fireplaces and chairs. I surround Daniel, I come before Mark, and after the war, I'll keep watch of the park. The answer here is den, D-E-N, a den of robbers, a den of bears. A den is also a room in a house, often containing things like fireplaces and chairs. I surround Daniel. In the Bible, Daniel is thrown into a lion's den. I come before Mark, den Mark, and after the war... I'll keep watch of the park. If you put den after war, you get warden, which is someone who keeps watch over something. In this case, I went with park warden or a game warden, maybe, who will keep watch over a park because I needed it to rhyme. So riddle two, answer is den. Riddle three, when I am fire, I protect from the unseen. When I am water, the slaves go free. When I am a marvel, I am great. When I am inside you, I isolate. I bear your burdens, share your load. I unite above and below. I see both sides of every divide. Cut me short and find all inside. What am I? The answer is wall. When I am fire, I protect from the unseen. A firewall, at least in the modern sense, is in your computer protecting from viruses. When I am water, the slaves go free. Two walls of water surrounded Moses and the Israelites when they escaped the slavery of Egypt. When I am a marvel, I am great. The Great Wall of China, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. When I am inside you, I isolate. If you put up walls, psychologically, you are distancing your real self from others. I bear your burdens, share your load, load-bearing walls. 
I unite above and below, unites the ceiling above with the floor below. I see both sides of every divide. It literally is the divide of which it has two sides. Cut me short and find all inside. Remove the letter W from wall, you get all. So the answer to riddle three is wall. The three answers are pawn, din, and wall. Say all three of those together in the opposite order. Wall, din, pawn. Walden pawn. Walden pond. There's a book called Walden in which the author goes to Walden Pond to uh, build a house by himself and uh, hang out with ducks or something. The author is Henry David Thoreau. Thoreau once said, all good things are wild and free. Well, this was a pretty wild puzzle, and you didn't pay me for it, so that makes it a good puzzle. Brain drop. Henry David Thoreau gives it two big 19th century thumbs up. Solution three. When politics comes before religion. Last week's lateral thinking puzzle. Recently, a few well-respected institutions included fake news to their publications, presenting it as factual information. It was pointed out by news outlets, and they were criticized, yet the institutions did not remove the information or apologize. Why? Posed this one to a group this time, my wife Laura and my friends Jordan and Rachel asked questions. Is it political in nature? Uh, no-ish. <laughs> no-ish. Are the news uh, people important? Like what news outlets? False assumption. <laughs> Did the information come from news outlets? No. Did it come from just an average Joe? No. It's a few well-respected institutions. Oh, ins it came from an institution. Mm-hmm. Did it come from a school? No. Was the purpose of these institutions to tell fake news? No. Is it satire related? No. And they knew it was fake or false? Did they know at the time of publishing it was fake? Um, ooh, that's tough to answer. They knew, they did not believe their information to be fake. Was it medical? No. Was there a long time between when they published it and when people found out about it? No, it was pretty much right away. Was it a business? I should probably know that. I, maybe yes. <laughs> <laughs> maybe yes. Uh, is it an entertainment? No. Is it an American institution? Mm, some were and some were not. Is it related to viruses? <laughs> nope. Okay, great. Was the news, the fake news, harmful to people? No. Okay. Was it religious? Nope. What other industries are there than medical, entertainment, historical, business, historical? Mm, I think you're closer. I don't. It's not exactly historical, but is it important who the news affected? Who the information affects? No. Okay. 
So just kind of general facts that are wrong. The facts that they presented were not wrong. Okay. They are fake news, but not false? Kind of. <laughs> so was it just stupid information? Like, <laughs> No, no. These aren't like comics of some sort, are they? No, that's entertainment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is it science? No. Would we know about it? Like, um, you would know about the institutions, and you've probably interacted with them. I don't know that you would know about this particular story. Were people lying about it being fake news? Uh, no. Were people upset that it was fake? Um, I mean, some people did criticize, did criticize the, what they published. I don't know if upset is really the right word, but... They have a business component, but they are not... I think they're, they must Do be Do they businesses. make a profit? <laughs> I guess, I guess... Do There's they... a particular, yeah, they, they probably make, they do make a profit, but I think it's, it falls in a particular realm that you don't usually think of when you think of, like. So they don't, like, sell a good? Um, they used to a lot more than they do now. Do they sell a service? <laughs> Newspaper? No. Paleontology or anything like that? No. Okay. Uh, science. Dinosaur There was a. I was getting that mixed up with another term. It's governmental in nature. Uh, no. Nutritional. No. Geographical. Mm, no, but that may play a small component to it. <laughs> was it how how so the information was published? Was it published in a book? Um. That's sort of funny because I don't know. It used to that would have been the only source, but not any nowadays. I don't know that it. It'd just be available online. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Is it? It's not like a dictionary of any kind, is it? It is. It's oh, a dictionary. Good grief! It is a dictionary. Mm-hmm. That's the answer. So what is what does it mean then? Oh. So they published. Oh, is it like they added like a modern lingo to the dictionary? Like yes, selfie or but did they more add fake news? Wait, they added fake news. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> dictionaries <laughs> recently added fake news. To oh my that's why it wasn't false. And it's yeah, so it's not false, but that's they were criticized because you know it's sort of a self-explanatory term. It's not really a new word per se, but so. How oh, uh, interesting! There you go. Always up to your tricks. Uh-huh. Dang it. We got there eventually. So I believe Oxford Dictionary and Collins English Dictionary and uh, Dictionary.com, maybe others, all have entries for fake news. And it was criticized on the basis of being rather self-explanatory. Merriam-Webster stuck to their guns, though. They, uh, they said in an article, quote, The reason fake news is unlikely to be entered in our dictionary anytime soon is that it is a self-explanatory compound noun a combination of two distinct words, both well-known, 
which when used in combination, yield an easily understood meaning. Fake news is, quite simply, news that is fake. Unquote. Some other compound words that have been recently added to dictionaries include fan art, safe space, and social distancing. And the title of the puzzle uh, was referring to the one place in which politics should always come before religion. A dictionary. Puzzle. Noun. Things that I'm about to tell you. Puzzle one. Yay! Go fish. Here's a puzzle that was designed by an actual British psychologist that uh, he used to test people's reasoning abilities. I've changed it slightly, but it's roughly the same. So today, I will be your psychologist. That's a pretty scary thought, isn't it? See, I read your mind. It's full of scary thoughts. Anyway, here we go. Here I'm holding a deck of two-sided cards. You know, as opposed to the uh, one-sided cards. Here, I'll, uh, I'll fan them out. You can take a look at them. Uh, some of them have letters on them. Some of them have pictures of animals. Ooh, check this one out. It's a, it's a cat hanging onto a branch. Like, hang in there, big guy. <laughs> anyway, sorry, we were uh, in the middle of an experiment here. Let's resume. So, now I will put four of these cards down on the table. You can forget the rest of these cards. They don't, uh, they don't matter for this experiment. We have these four cards. Here we go. I lay them down one at a time. This one has the letter A on it. This one has the letter Z on it. That one has a fish. And that one has a bird. A, Z, fish, bird. Fantastic. Now, let me tell you something about these cards. Might be true, or I might be lying. It's my podcast. I can lie if I want to. Here it is. If a card has a vowel on one side, then it has a fish on the other. Now here's your question. Uh, you don't know for sure whether that's actually true or not. In fact, um, I can tell you don't trust me very much. So now, lucky you, you can verify whether what I said is true by flipping over some cards. How many of the cards on the table do you need to flip to verify the truth of that statement? Again, the statement is, if a card has a vowel on one side, then it has a fish on the other. You don't need to prove it's true for all the deck of cards, just for the four here on the table. How many of the cards do you need to flip over to verify the truth of that statement and which ones? But make it quick now. I'm paid by the millisecond. Puzzle two. Miss Amerida. All right, I'm going to give you six words. Uh, find the odd one out. And the title is a clue. Miss Amerida. Here's the six words. Unalarmed. Stimulant. Adversarial. Wannabe. Rebelled. And, here it is, thermoanalysis. All right, one more time. Unalarmed, stimulant, adversarial, wannabe, rebelled, and thermoanalysis. Find the odd one out. Puzzle three. 
The Guitar Man. Here's the lateral thinking puzzle for this week by Stephen Wirt. A woman finds an envelope in her letterbox. She opens it and finds only a single photograph of a loaf of bread. She begins to weep with joy and runs back into the house with great excitement. Why? By the way, a letterbox is a mailbox. Yeah, you're welcome, my fellow Americans. So, once again, a woman finds an envelope in her letterbox. She opens it and finds only a single photograph of a loaf of bread. She begins to weep with joy and runs back into the house with great excitement. Why? So you'll hear the puzzle solved next week. You can follow us on Facebook or Twitter to see three clues on that puzzle. All right, that's it for this week. You can visit the website at braindroppodcast.com for a refresher on this week's puzzles. And you can send in your solutions or suggest a puzzle for a future episode or call me an adversarial thermoanalytical wannabe by sending an email to puzzles at braindroppodcast.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter at braindroppuzzle. Special thanks to Jeff Moore for some of the music, including what you're listening to right now. Finally, please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes or telling your friends about the show. All right, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Brian Hobbs. I wonder what the end of this music sounds like. Let's, let's listen to it. Some other time. <laughs>